Welcome to Story Kernels, the podcast that takes the kernel of a story idea, drizzles it with butter, and munches it with sticky fingers. I'm KL. And I'm Allie Martin. And we're here to talk about writing ideas and turning an idea into a story. Hey, Allie, what's been inspiring you lately? This week, I actually started rereading Arabella of Mars by David D. Levine. Uh, it is a Regency era alternate history involving space sailing between planets. So they're like big boats that can float in the water, but can also sail between planets. So it's like a treasure planet situation. Kind of. They've got, I, I can't remember what the sailing technology is in Treasure Planet. But um, yeah, they sail solar winds, which there's a lot of science stuff that makes me go, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but after I put my science brain away, uh, I really like this. Like I said, I, I'm rereading it. Uh, and I just started recently. I first read this book in 2017, and I am revisiting it partly so that I can finally finish reading the series, also so I can refresh my memory of stories on boats and airships and pirates, uh, because I'm currently working on my gay airship pirates novel. It sounds like a cool book, though. Yeah, it's a really fun book. I really enjoyed reading it the first time, and like right now I'm really enjoying reading it the second time, although I totally forgot how it started. <laughs> you know, I remembered the parts on the boat. And so, you know, I'm up to the point where she's getting on the boat now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, this part I remember, but I had I totally forgot everything, like why she gets on the boat in the first place and everything that happened on Mars previously, because she grew up on Mars and she gets sent to Earth because she's much too boyish for a girl of her age. And her mom wants her to grow up to be a little bit more refined. Um, but, you know, my girl Arabella and I aren't having that. So <laughs> bully to that, I was going to say. Um, yeah. I mean, look, if I saw a boat, I would just get on it. So I can respect <laughs> that. Like, I don't need a reason to get on a boat. Do you know what boats do? They go to the ocean, and I love the ocean. <laughs> I wouldn't be there. This one doesn't just go to the ocean. It goes back to Mars. And, like, in her heart, she would love to go back anyway, but she's actually going back to save her brother. So she has even more pressing reasons to return to Mars. Nice. I'll have to check this out. Yeah, I would. I absolutely recommend it. Like, you know, I remembered loving it when I read it the first time and I immediately bought the second book and then didn't read it because I'm excellent at buying books and then not reading them. So that's Same. part of why. <laughs> that's part of why I was like, let me reread the first one and actually read the rest of these so they will stop sitting on my shelf not being read. And the weird thing is I do it a lot on books that I'm like really excited about reading. I'm like saving them or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. I don't know why I do that. But it's definitely a thing that I do that's very frustrating to the weight of my bookshelf. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm trying really hard to be better about reading books that I actually own. She says, 
after having read 30 books from the library this year. So uh, on to books that I own. I think that's a common problem. I did the math earlier. And if I read a book of poetry every three days, I'll have gotten through my physical TBR in my apartment by next June. <laughs> I'm not going to read a book of poetry every three days, but I could. <laughs> that's that's a challenge. And maybe go slightly less intense. <laughs> I'm on like one a week. We'll, we're, we'll work through it. It's fine. One a week's pretty good. You wouldn't be that far off. I mean, you'd be like half of your goal, but still, <laughs> that seems good. Yeah. No? <laughs> it's fine. Uh, what have you been uh, watching, reading, taking in that's been, been inspiring you? I actually did just start uh, Winter's Orbit, which is a gay space politics book that I highly recommend, but I'm not done with it yet, so I can't really talk about it yet. <laughs> so I do just want everyone to know that they should read this uh, gay space politics book. <laughs> it's adorable. I've been catching up with a podcast that I really love called Flash Forward. It's hosted by Rose Eveleth, and what she does is takes future like possible futures and projects them into the future to see what the outcomes of them might be what the ethics of the situations are what the fallout might be from what we're thinking about doing and it's one of my favorite podcasts which i may have already said but there's an episode that i ran across last week that i've actually just re-listened to because it's called heads will roll and it's about what happens when you can transplant someone's head onto another body to extend their life or to give them a new life or something like that. So hmm. as you can imagine, I have a lot of feelings about the ethics of this. And one of the things I really got caught on while I was listening to the episode is the idea of what makes you you. Mm hmm. Because not only would it be difficult to wake up and have an entirely different body, especially for us in the West, because our idea of what makes us mm -hmm. us is very person-centric. It's very much about who we are and what we're doing and how we have come to be in this place on our own. Mm -hmm. But also, in other parts of the world, it's about the people around you and what you can give to your culture and your society. And does that change because of the body that you are now in? And also just how does the body that you're in reflect on you? I know that I, you know, just walking through the world, get reactions from people because my hair is green or the dress I'm wearing, or, you know, I'm too cheery for a situation possibly, <laughs> but if I were to put my head on an entirely different body, how would that alter who I am internally? And also how would it alter how people see me? And then there's the question of, well, you can't just murder someone to take another body to put a head on. That's <laughs> literally illegal. Uh, don't do that. Well, also, I'm thinking a lot about proportions here. <laughs> I do have this tiny baby head. Where are we going to find another adult? <laughs> Well, there's just there's some very weird uh, head pasted on Photoshop. <laughs> I'm just that's immediately where my brain went. 
Yeah, um, I'm not saying it's a good idea. One of the doctors who's trying to be at the forefront of this, who, as you can imagine, many medical ethicists think uh, is wrong and bonkers and should not be doing these things. <laughs> I'm shocked. But his idea is to grow a clone of yourself with no brain. And as you can imagine, that sounds difficult to me and everyone else. So the concept of autonomy and personhood and what we consider a person comes up again and again. And anyway, I really enjoy thinking about these things. And I think if other listeners enjoy thinking about these things, they should definitely listen to Flash Forward. Super plug. Oh, yeah. I actually I totally agree. Flash Forward is amazing. I haven't listened to it in a very long time. So you bringing it up has made me go, oh, there's so many episodes for me to listen to, I bet. But yeah, when I was listening to it, I tend to find a podcast I like and then listen to it just exclusively for a while. And I really, really enjoyed listening to that one. It was a really good one for when I needed a break in the middle of the day. And then some heavy thoughts. (laughs) Who can't use a few heavy thoughts every now and then? I don't know. It's really good for like anyone who is a sci-fi writer. Like it is an excellent source of prompts for for near future ideas. Do recommend. Well, now that everyone's had their daily dose of ethics and personhood, on to the main event. Let's talk about our prompt for this week. This week's prompt comes from An Apple a Day by Caroline Taggart. One of my favorite places to pull prompts is from books that are organized around specific topics. Like, for example, Proverbs. I find them really useful for writing communities or um, generating a lot of prompts for things like NaNoWriMo. And it's just an easy place that I can go to flip through and immediately be able to pull a prompt easily. So in an apple a day, the Proverbs are organized alphabetically with an explanation of the proverb or some kind of historical context for the origin. When I'm writing, if I'm using this for a prompt for myself, I tend to ignore some of that (laughs) and just examine the literal interpretation of the prompt because I kind of enjoy turning figurative things literal and literal things figurative. Um, So that's just kind of my way of jumping into these things. So this prompt is, you've got to eat a peck of dirt before you die. I'd really rather not, if that's okay. (laughs) No, you've got to. (laughs) A peck is a more or less forgotten measure of dry goods, the equivalent of a quarter of a bushel, which is extremely helpful. (laughs) Because what the heck is a bushel? (laughs) The only thing I know about bushels is that you should not hide your light under them. Oh, I also know, what is it? No, that's two and... Two birds in the hand, one in the bush. That's not a bushel. <laughs> That's something else. Think of how many birds you could fit in a bushel. I I don't know. Because <laughs> I still don't know how big it is. <laughs> Literally don't know. <laughs> the book tells us that a peck is about two gallons or nine liters. So that is indeed a lot of dirt. So from the book, it says, taken literally, the proverb is intended to console you on perhaps finding a speck of dust in your coffee or a smidgen of soil in your salad. Never mind, it says, it won't kill you. In fact, it'll probably do wonders for your immune system. Of course, you might feel differently if you found a whole peck of dirt on a single plate, which, yeah. (laughs) A very large plate. It really would be. 
Uh, The proverb has been around in the literal sense for hundreds of years. John Keats used it figuratively in a letter of 1819, meaning you can't get through life without some hardship or make an omelet without breaking eggs. Quote, this is the second black eye I have had since leaving school. We must eat a peck before we die. So that's the, the origins of our phrase for the week, our prompt for the week. Sounds like somebody needs to stop saying smart ass things to get hit in the face. I mean, yes. <laughs> Some of us have never been punched in the face. I'd just like to point that out. Even though you've said a lot of smart ass things. So congratulations. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've got to eat a peck of dirt before you die. I think it's on to the brainstorming. Yes. What does this make you think of? I mean, it does make me think of the time I bought a bag of heads of romaine and there was a literal fly inside of them. I realized that lettuce comes from the ground anyway and sees a lot of dirt before it gets to me. I'm just not used to bugs existing in my pre-packaged foods. And it's a stark reminder of the fact that I live in a real world. I do enjoy that you're reaching into your personal experience for further inspiration on how to approach a story. Good job there. (laughs) Do you not want to write about the fly in my romaine heads? I mean, I don't personally. It's certainly a thing that could happen to a character, but it doesn't seem like a really great conflict to me. I'm sure someone else could write that really swell. I just don't think I'm the the writer for it. <laughs> it's okay. Um I'm well I mean as I said, lettuce sees a lot of dirt before it sees us. Most plants see a lot of dirt before they see us. Everything has to come from come up from somewhere and get the nutrients from it. And we don't really get nutrients from it, which is interesting because we do get nutrients from the things that grow from it, right? Yes, but I mean, I think that's just chemistry. We're not designed to absorb dirt nutrients. I mean, eventually I'm going to learn to photosynthesize and then it's going to be all over for you bitches. <laughs> but. So, as I said, I like to take this a little bit more, like, literally. So, you've got to eat a peck of dirt before you die. Uh, immediately... I am struck by the death portion of this, as I often am. And I go to the 19th century, thank you, and am thinking immediately of the resurrection men and um, how these people were essentially body snatchers uh, who were digging up corpses or, if you're Burke and Hare, uh, making them yourself. Uh, And then selling those bodies to anatomists so they would have product to dissect. (laughs) Gotta try to make this a little nicer, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Capitalism knows no bounds. Capitalism knows no bounds uh, because they were actually paid for the bodies. So not exactly uh, a great thing going on there. (laughs) But I guess a quick way to make a buck. Actually, when you when you were like, you have to eat a peck of dirt before you die, my immediate thought was the Saw franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. 
just somebody sitting in a bathtub bleeding out trying to eat two gallons of dirt so someone could come save them. They could find the key to unlock their handcuffs or something. That does sound like something that Saw would do. Yeah. I would like to point out I've never seen a Saw movie because I'm a scared child. Uh, (laughs) But I know they exist. And basically what they're about. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. What, What other ideas do you have? Related to this prompt. Hmm. Do you want to stick with the 19th century? We don't have to. But I mean, you know, I'm very comfortable there. (laughs) I can be comfortable there. We're good. Let's see. Resurrection men. And what happens if a Birkin hair type comes across something that is trying to eat its way out of the ground? Ooh, I do like that. Right? It can, it can be a human type zombie, or it can be something entirely alien to what they've seen, like a new type of life form that they have come across in the cemetery, because the cemetery is, of course, hallowed ground and may support supernatural things that other parts of the city might not be able to incubate. Right. I am immediately pulling Buffy Hellmouth. It eats you, starting with your bottom. <laughs> Season six is very underrated. Uh, I Um, mean, I think I prefer it eat me starting with my head, so I wasn't awake for the rest of it. And as we discerned, (laughs) yes, um, (laughs) as we discerned earlier, your head is what makes you you. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Eh. Yeah, actually. Okay, so do we want to do vampires? Because we all know that Dracula is literally one of my favorite books. But we can do anything. I think not vampires, although they also have a lot of dirt-related things going on with them. I'll tell you, the other thing that I thought of with with this prompt uh, was that you've got to eat a peck of dirt portion of it leaving off the before you die unless you're thinking of death and forms of transformation. Uh, but eating the peck of dirt is like part of a spell and thinking about my dear friend KL here, some sort of spell or transformation that then turns you into a tree. <laughs> I, um, yes. <laughs> Do I have your interest? I would love to be a tree. Um, <laughs> what is that? quote from Django you had my interest but now you have my attention or something <laughs> no <laughs> had my attention but now you have my interest um okay so you're like where do I start getting this dirt <laughs> literally um okay so if there are grave robbers in the cemetery and they so I think this sort of takes the shape of like a mystery like a horror mystery sort of thing uh-huh So the grave robbers are digging up corpses or attempting to, looking for the freshest graves, and they keep coming across fresh patches of dirt. Well, patches of dirt that look fresh, but do not have fresh bodies within them, right? So something else is disturbing the soil, and they don't know what it is until eventually they try to dig out one of the bodies, and there are a whole bunch of, like, a tangle of branches down there. They can't get to the body. Which is weird because the tree there are very few trees in the cemetery and they don't this particular one anyway. 
I love Victorian death parks. So, you know, there could be a lot of trees in cemeteries. I was going to say, most of them tend to have a lot of trees. But, I mean, like if we said it in Florida, there's not a lot of trees in any cemeteries here. Even in, in cemeteries that are older, there's just not a lot of trees because our soil is sand. Honestly, the way Florida treats its dead is so depressing to me. <laughs> it's really terrible. <laughs> Aside. Um, but yeah, so they come across this tangle of branches. And when they try to cut into it, it moves. Yeah. And they bring their shovel back. And there is weird gunk on it that's almost blood-like. That is definitely not sap-like. So are these bodies that are being turned into trees. Hmm, I was thinking more along the lines of the trees using the nutrients from the bodies that it can pull from them mm -hmm. because I um also have a lot of feelings about natural death and burial and turning into nutrients myself one day. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the trees hmm, maybe it starts with one specific body that's planted there so one specific body is planted there and a tree is planted over it and there's some sort of weird scientific slash magical situation with the symbiosis of the tree and the body that turn it into something new that then starts to grow throughout the city yeah i like it i feel like i have read or seen something similar to that but i cannot tell you what it was so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I if you remember, I would like to read this. I know. I that's why I'm also like, what was that? So that way I can go revisit it. <laughs> but regardless, um, whenever you come up with an idea that sounds like something that you vaguely remember from somewhere else, please remember all stories have been told somewhere else. How you put the pieces together is the most important part. Right. And I, it's sort of a, you know, the Neil Gaiman piece of advice of only you can write your story right. I'm not going to write this weird tree story the way that anyone else does. Oh, OK. So, <laughs> you know, inspiration has struck. <laughs> so, I mean, now this is essentially an episode of Doctor Who in my head, but... Some of the people in town are also starting to act a little strange. Oh, this is an episode of Doctor Who. Uh-huh. And it's possible that they're changelings from the tree trying to integrate itself into the society. I don't necessarily think the tree is evil. I think it's trying to understand its surroundings, but does not understand the ethics of murder. <laughs> so the tree is like literally producing pod people. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I can dig it. So is it killing people? Or is it just like producing replicants? Oh, is it maybe a fungus? Oh, yeah, it could be a fungus. Did you ever read that? Um, I think it's a Scott Westerfield book about the cat disease, the plasmotoxosis or however you say it. I can't remember if I read that book or not. I definitely know about it, though. Yeah, it kind. I mean, it kind of... Um, every other chapter is the description of a horrible fungus that takes over an animal and kills it. So I got a little grossed out. Is that in Peeps? Peeps has a lot of that. Yes, Peeps. Okay. I didn't remember it being the 
plus plus what the there's there's lots there's lots of discussion about rats and the way they react yeah, to yeah, cats yeah, yeah, yeah. they have the disease. Yes, that is peeps for sure. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, n- another digression. Uh <laughs> I mean it could be a spore thing. I know that there's huge fandom tropes around not only sex pollen but also like different spores that are mind control and stuff like that. Yes, I mean that's a pretty common sci-fi trope in general. It's very useful for creating zombies that are not dead people. I mean, essentially, they're dead people because once they've been taken over and hijacked, they're not them anymore. But they were not once buried. So you eliminate the sort of sense of the out of place immediately. It's allowed to creep up a little more slowly, I think, rather than you seeing someone who's come back to life. Right. Okay. So we've got a setting. We've got kind of a genre, or at least we're hinting around a genre. And... We've got kind of the path, like the arc of where the, the story's starting. But who are these people who uncover the root system? Because I'm assuming they're the main characters. Yes, I would think so. I also like the idea of having the Resurrection Men be the main characters and eventually trying to save the city when they were initially cannibalizing it. Yeah, I like that theme too. Like, I like the idea of comparing their cannibalization of the city to the entity's cannibalization of the city and where they internally find the line of what's okay and what's not okay. Because essentially the entity is also just trying to eat, right? It's not got a different impulse than the Resurrection Men. It's just got an alien looking impulse to the resurrection men so do they change because of this like do they realize internally that this is the essential argument i mean i would hope that they would change (laughs) (laughs) well yes the story something needs to change but i mean i mean they don't need to change in the story they can they can choose not to change but for myself like i would want them to change just because i do like to have kind of a a happier story in which people learn about themselves and they grow and they don't revert back to their same negative habits. But however, if you're already chill with stealing bodies and selling them, uh, perhaps you already have loose morals and don't can't really quite make the connection. Look, if I was starving. I would do a lot of things. I'm not a proud human. And uh, although I think part of the issue with Burke and Hare specifically is that they were outreaching their need <laughs> and into want. I mean, they well, definitely... also the murder. Yes. <laughs> it's like they definitely killed people. It wasn't just like, here's a body already here. I'll just take it to where I know I can get some money for it. I mean, that still like sort of like I found a wallet by <laughs> digging it out of someone's home you know it's, like, it's not it's not really quite the same but it's not the same as I killed someone and then showed up with their body and also because they didn't tell them that they were killing people oh pish <laughs> <laughs> what's a little murder between friends really uh we're not friends are we (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I guess the answer is still illegal, but <laughs> even in Victorian London, it was illegal. Don't don't act, you know, don't play everybody. The Victorians were basically us. It was illegal to murder people, <laughs> but not illegal to murder trees. So, <laughs> oh. oh, my God. What if they start killing all the pod people and then they're like brought up on murder charges or something and they're like, no, but we're trying to save the city. <laughs> I was thinking they take the pod people to the anatomist. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. They like get a surgeon to open it up and the surgeon's like, um, this is woodier than usual. <laughs> I'm sorry. You need a botanist. <laughs> I actually I think that would be a key section of the of the story. Yes. I think that absolutely needs to happen because there I mean honestly in my head the surgeon is also a character with its PO, with, a, with his own POV. Oh yeah, like characters need to use their skills and resources. So what skill and resource do these resurrection men have? access to anatomists. So that makes total sense. Well, the thing too is that so resurrection men are high on skill, low on resources, but a person like a surgeon is high in both, um, especially if they're working at one of the more prestigious colleges. Yes. Okay. So that's definitely going to come into that, that story at some point where they would take one of the bodies of the pod people. Probably they have to figure out that they're pod people somehow um it could be that they find one in the cemetery oh maybe they they kill them thinking that they are a rival resurrection man well and so they get in from that angle i mean i was even thinking that they just assumed that it was somebody who was a drunk right like oh yeah they're on the ground in the cemetery just waking up because they're a newly born pod being and so they see this person as vulnerable and possibly someone who doesn't have anyone looking for them. And they're like, oh, an easy mark. Mm -hmm. And so they kill this person to take. Oh. And that's probably when the surgeon is like, oh, this is not. Are you having one off on me? Right. Like, is this a joke? Where How did you make this weird straw man? <laughs> OK, so potentially they find the branches but don't connect it to really anything weird going on. And then the next plot point would be them killing this person and taking them in and then discovering like, yeah, there's this, this other thing happening. And then it becomes a race against time before all of London turns into pod people with the resurrectionists knowing they won't be believed. And the surgeon desperately trying to make people believe him because he of course is an upstanding citizen and everyone's like okay but you're in league with these weirdos who kill people so maybe not thanks <laughs> perhaps they also need to get caught for murdering people uh to make them less trustworthy <laughs> yes i think so this is yeah i mean this essentially earlier where i was like okay so they get caught for killing people and then they have to say uh, no, I promise those people weren't people. Mm -hmm. Cut them open and check. <laughs> That's not a thing that they would regularly do since at the time, dissection was also attached to punishment. So if someone was sentenced to death, they were sentenced to death and dissection. Yeah. So it was part of the whole uh, capital offense sort of thing. 
Right. But if you just found them in the Thames, an autopsy wasn't necessarily the next step of the process. No, because that could be a regular old human. <laughs> I mean, I think they assume that most people who drown in the Thames are a regular old human, uh, but I wasn't there. They definitely make a distinction between like vagrants and humans, though. Yeah, uh, we kind of still do that, and it sucks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Goodness. So they're not believed, and they're on trial for murder. <laughs> And possibly their surgeon friend is having trouble getting the bodies because the surgeon friend needs to convince some either convince someone to autopsy these bodies or autopsy them himself. And he needs to do it before they're hung for murder, right? Hanged. Before they're hanged for murder. And so there's like a race against the clock of can I cut these bitches open first? <laughs> okay. How does this resolve? If you want it to end in a happier way where people have learned and changed and grown, I think that the surgeon gets access to, possibly through unseeming means, the bodies. Like, maybe he has to lower himself to get his hands dirty in a way that he wasn't before because he had the resurrection men to do his dirty work. Uh-huh. So he has to sort of, quote unquote, lower himself to their level in order to help figure out what's going on. And he sort of comes to understand the place in society of people who do things like this. But he does figure out that they're not actually humans. And so he can get a stay of execution. How close to the execution that is, I guess, can be up to you. Whether they're standing on the, <laughs> on the hangman's platform at the time. Or if they're just in cell waiting, you know, or something like that. In my version of the story, though, they definitely die first. I, yeah, I mean, like, I actually think that they should probably die first. Um, <laughs> because, like, I do like a more positive ending. But a tragic ending is not necessarily a bad thing, particularly if this is going in the horror realm. It's not... <gasps> <laughs> Sorry, Hold go on. on. <laughs> it's not a negative to have a horror story end in a tragic uh, moment or for it to have a sad or all is lost sort of ending. So they get murdered. And then two people who essentially, quote unquote, are them wake up in the cemetery and it's a very like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead moment of, <laughs> do you remember the last thing that happened before we ended up here? You know? And they're like, no, but there's enough of the imprint of who they were on the new beings that they try to just go on uh, with business as usual. Then it kind of becomes a question of, did they kill humans or not? If they're people... <laughs> if if the pod people remember enough to be considered people yes i'm shocked that we got here i'm sorry i'll let you pick a theme eventually uh... <laughs> no i love it i think it's fantastic <laughs> yeah i think that's totally great all right so let me see if i can sum this up okay so we've got a horror mystery story that starts in a graveyard where two resurrection men are unburying a body 
and discover like branches and roots and stuff that are weird, maybe a little bit bloody, definitely not normal material to find in a grave. Then they stumble across a person who was in the cemetery one night lying on the ground. They assume this is just a drunk that they can just kill and then drag off to the anatomist like you do. And when the surgeon cuts that person open, discovers that this is not a person, which then kicks off kind of like the whole thing where they're figuring out that there are more pod people who are coming probably from the cemetery. And maybe also if we're stretching this out into like something that's a longer story, maybe they do have some interactions with pod people that indicate that perhaps there is an intelligence and not just, not just a likeness. Uh, So that way we've got the hint early on that they could be people. They are eventually caught though for murder because they were killing pod people and no one believes them that they're killing pod people. I mean, rightly so. No one also believes the surgeon, even though he feels like he should be believed. He's in a position where he should be believed. So that's another sort of interesting twist on even the authorities are sometimes not believed. Then the story resolves when the surgeon gets his own hands dirty, perhaps doing some of the work that the resurrection men had been doing and comes with proof that there are indeed pod people. However, he is too late. The resurrection men have been killed. But in our little epilogue, they wake up again in the cemetery where they are now pod people and they have some recollection of the things that have happened and they just continue doing their resurrection work like nothing has changed. Ta-da! <laughs> uh, okay, literally though, I love this and would read it. I would too. Like, I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, and I really liked your idea of comparing the resurrection men's cannibalization of the city with the cannibalization of this alien plant thing. I think that's a, that would be a really nice theme sitting just under the whole plot because I think it makes total sense. I think it works for what we're we're talking about here. Yeah, I can totally see that. The one thing that we didn't really hit on that I think we would need to get further developed is like what are the goals and motiva- motivations of the resurrection men outside of this alien plant thing? Because they start with something. And I always feel like just money is not really a strong enough motivator for me personally. Like I want something else out of these people. And perhaps it would be something on the more personal scale that we could tap into. Um, But that's developing the characters specifically. So sort of what do they want the money for? I mean, essentially they're in this business to get money. But is it that they can't make enough money to live doing another type of job? Is it that they can't get other jobs for different reasons? Right. Because that can also come into that cannibalization issue because they can be discarded by society 
And so how does that, you know, how did society and the structures cannibalize them? And, you know, so there's a whole like infrastructure there and connection that I think you can really play with just by making the right kinds of choices for how to connect the whole plot. Yeah, I think so. I think that helps. I am shocked that we did not go full tree people, but this is kind of tree people. One day we'll get there. (laughs) I'm always thinking about cracking ribs in the back of my head somewhere. Okay, now that we've untangled a plot, it's time to untangle your questions. Sarah asks by email, how do you hone an idea into a theme? Do you have any thoughts on this? I know you have thoughts on this. <laughs> I do have thoughts on this. So one of the things that I think is important and like exemplified by the story that we just talked about is to figure out how your characters interact with the world and then how they approach their problems and to think about what ideas surface from those conflicts. And, you know, like we're talking about these pod people and the way the resurrection men are cannibalizing the city and then how the alien plan is cannibalizing the people. And, you know, so that's a very natural theme that grew out of the idea uh, and that conflict between those two worlds melding. Um, And then the other thing to consider, I think, is how the character's reaction to the conflicts informs the theme. So the character's continuing the process of cannibalization and abuse is part of that theme mm-hmm. works beautifully such a good <laughs> pairing of of its story and question i'm very excited yeah no i think we did a good job there pat myself <laughs> on the back yes also i think and as i think you can tell or not you obviously you can always tell where <laughs> things come from in my brain <laughs> But the audience can tell uh, between the first episode and the second episode that I am clearly interested in themes and ideas of personhood and bodyhood and uh, sort of expressing yourself out into the world. And so I think one of the things that also happens is that while story ideas can come from outside, they can come from episodes of podcasts or things you've seen or weird things you overheard on the television themes usually come from inside Mm -hmm. and so i think sometimes you're not even aware that you are writing themes into what you write but eventually you get to the right because like while we were talking that over it was not my initial idea that the themes of cannibalization would run together Mm -hmm. but once you get halfway through the story you go oh this makes total sense right right well, and again, personhood surfaced in this story, and part of that was talking through, but also it's because we are both concerned with personhood and that question of like what makes a person. And, you know, I go to clones and robots normally with those issues. But yeah, tree people, same thing. <laughs> but yeah, th- those are things that we bring. We're That's the part that we're always bringing to the work. Um, So it's not surprising that it would surface uh, in the work as well. I've definitely had things where I was, I got to the end of a novel and then I went back and looked, oh, 
there are no one, no one in this entire novel has like a healthy romantic relationship. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Well, and it's one of those things too, where if you write authentically from within yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You are going to sometimes put yourself on the page, whether you realize you're doing it or not. And the novel length project that I'm eternally working on started out with, I saw a video like seven, eight years ago of a robot tattooing a perfect circle onto a person's arm. And that extrapolated out into, oh, well, what if there's a robot tattoo artist? And that extrapolated out into, oh, what if there are these people that are helping them? And there's a black market for dead people's tattoos and, you know, all this stuff that feeds back into the main theme of what makes you you and what does it mean to have a body? And those weren't themes that I was setting out to write about. I just thought it was neat that we're to a point where robots can tattoo people, right? But because internally, that's what I'm always thinking about. That's what happens on the page, I hope. Uh. (laughs) So theme can come really late in the process of writing, like sometimes even after a first draft is written, where you might find the theme when you're reading back your work, and then you hone it. And you might add scenes to punch up that theme, or cut out things that are contradictory, or just like go way off track, and you want to express this one specific thing. So yeah, I think a lot of the answer to the question is look at the story that you're telling, look at the things that you want to write about, and then find a way to bridge all of those things, but know that it's not something that you have to have when you start. It's something that can develop. Right. Don't stress about it. You have an idea. You are a theme. Like you will bring yourself to the work and you will pull the important threads of the story to satisfy you. And I think that's really where themes come in. Yeah. Sounds good. Story Kernels is a podcast about inspiration and developing ideas. If you'd like to create something based on one of the prompts or the ideas we develop, feel free. We'd love to see your work and possibly share it in a future episode. You can find episodes of Story Kernels along with related content for every episode at storykernels.com. If you'd like to help support Story Kernels and keep the podcast ad-free, you can support us at patreon.com slash storykernels. Drop us a line or send us one of your Story Kernels creations at storykernelspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at storykernelspod. Story Kernels is produced by Sarah Nicholas. Our logo is by Rebecca Wilcox. And the music you hear at the beginning and end of the episode is by Raptorface. Next week, we'll be diving into another story, this time using a prompt from the story engine. As you write stories, remember, no one expects the giant psychedelic cuttlefish.